Please do take a seat. You might be helped to have uh, 1 Corinthians 15 uh, open. I, l- I love it if you're able to follow along with me. It's quite, you might notice it's quite a long passage. It's quite dense and, and sort of knotty. And it will really help if you're able to sort of follow along with me. I think it's page 1156 uh, in, your, in your Bibles. And also, because it's quite a, a sort of a, a delicate argument, you might, might be helped to sort of follow along on this sort of blue handout and give you an idea of, of where I'm going in uh, the next few moments. You might be familiar with this book. Uh, at one point in time, uh, I think it was the most published and read book throughout the entire world. And this is the case for centuries, uh, next to the Bible. Obviously, the Bible is number one. Um, the, bit, um, the book is called Pilgrim's Progress. It was published in 1677 by a chap called John Bunyan, who's from Bedford, which is where I spent a lot of my childhood. And uh, it describes, it's an allegory really, it describes the journey of a man called Christian as he journeys from the city of destruction to the celestial city. And uh, it's a picture, if you like, of of the Christian life. And it's a very memorable scene, fairly near the beginning, uh, where Christian meets a man called Pliable. And very quickly, Pliable uh, hears the good news about about this king uh, of this city where Christian is heading to. And Pliable is is very quickly persuaded to, to join Christian on his journey, very excited to hear about this king's love this king's mercy, this king's justice and his grace. Pliable's very excited. And so he heads off with Christian along the way, along the road. But very soon their their road takes them through a bog called the Slough of Despond. And as they begin wading through this bog, they're freezing cold, they're dripping wet, caked in mud, thoroughly discouraged. And Pliable's just getting angrier and angrier. And he turns to to Christian and he says this. Is this the happiness which you talked about all of this time? I mean, we've only just begun the journey. What more can we expect between now and the end? It's, It's as though all of that initial joy about the king, about the place he's heading to, it got sucked into that bog. And so Pliable, he gives up and he turns around and heads home and we don't see him again. Now, I don't know, it might be that some of us here tonight kind of feeling like we're in that slough of despond at the moment. Yes, the Christian message is wonderful. Yes, we have a great king. But in your presence, in your life at the moment, you've discovered that the road following Jesus is incredibly hard. Perhaps you've realized that kingdom labor, serving this king, is incredibly hard. You might know a large part of what I do in the week is meeting up with individuals um, one-to-one. And, um, I remember talking with someone very recently about an ongoing battle um, with sin. Um, he, he, uh, this guy experiences periods of, of great victory and then periods of defeat. Periods of victory, periods of defeat. And I ask how I could pray for him. And he says, Andy, I just feel like it's my battle against sin. It's two steps forward, two steps back. Two steps forward, two steps back. And he's thoroughly discouraged. I chatted with someone else this week. Um, this person leads a Bible study group. I know this person spends hours each week uh, praying for individuals in their group and preparing a Bible study. But most weeks, a lot of folk in their, in their group fail, fail to show up. And they're wondering at the moment, is this really worth it? Is this worth it, the amount of work I put in? They're discouraged. I asked someone else this week, how can I pray for you? And quite, quite encouraging answer. So, Andy, I want you to pray, pray for, my, my, for my witness to my friends. Uh, be able to share, share my faith with them. 
He's been uh, seeking opportunities to do that. He's uh, been inviting people to church and to things here at a, a thing near his workplace. Um, but all he ever gets is no's or yeses and then last minute pullouts. And uh, he's just thoroughly, thoroughly discouraged in that area of kingdom service. It might be we're wondering, why do we continue walking down this road? Why do we continue in such costly kingdom labor? When, when many of our attempts to fight sin, they're, they're met with failure. When many of our uh, attempts to serve the church, that they're not appreciated. When our opportunities to share the gospel, make him known, they, they seem to fall flat. Why do we bother? Wouldn't it be easier if, like our good friend Pliable, if we just gave up? turned back and went home. Or, if that sounds a little bit drastic, wouldn't it be easier if we, if we were just simply less keen, simply less wholehearted and, and radical about the whole Christian thing? You know, if we kind of made our Christian faith more of just a Sunday evening thing, something if we can sort of compartmentalise into this sort of two-hour period, something which is uh, easy, comfortable, something which requires very little of us and where no expectations are made, wouldn't that be easier and that's, that's kind of where the Corinthian church are coming from at this moment. Um, you might know that it's been hearing in the past few weeks that they're very much influenced as church by, by their own Greek culture. And they're starting to doubt the fact that there is this future bodily resurrection. Which meant that for them, the Christian life is really all about the here and now rather than the future. It's about the spiritual present rather than the physical future. So we can imagine that they took one look at their Apostle Paul, and there he was, banging on about the resurrection. But look at him, he's always in prison, (laughs) he's always suffering hardship. And then they look at these guys in Corinth who are saying, hey guys, let's eat and drink and be merry because tomorrow we die. And they're looking like they're having great fun, they're denying the resurrection, but look at them. And they're weighing up the options and they're going, "Well, well guess which one looked more attractive? Well, perhaps like us, Perhaps like us, they're asking, why should we continue in costly kingdom labor? Why not adopt this new philosophy which enabled us to live for this comfortable, easy life? What's the answer to that? Well, the answer is found in our passage. So turn with me to, uh, to verse uh, 35 in your Bibles, page 1156. And here Paul anticipates two questions his opponents in in Corinth would have been asking about the resurrection. Follow with me, verse 35. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body will they come? You'll see from our handout that our first two points are are basically these two questions. It kind of structures the passage for us. So our first point is this. What will our resurrection bodies actually be like i wonder if that's a question you've ever thought about what will our bodies be like when jesus returns uh, when when we're raised up and given new bodies what will they be like i think this is relevant for us because there's a lot of misunderstanding about this over the past few weeks people have been really confused i think have you ever seen tom and jerry you know tom and jerry you know when tom and jerry kill each other it happens a lot they're, what happens is their body stays there and then sort of a spirit floats up to heaven and then Tom or Jerry sitting on a cloud sort of plucking a harp. And that's, that's kind of how the Greeks thought about eternal life. They thought our bodies were, were this sort of shell which we need to discard and they weren't of any use in the next life. 
And many people think like that. Many Christians think like that. A lot of our sort of famous Christian artwork pictures the next life like that, doesn't it? Very unhelpful. They imagine it to be this disembodied existence. Well, before Paul sort of answers that sort of issue, he needs to take us back to biology class. Look down to verse 36. How foolish. What you sow doesn't come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. So Paul needs to take us back to biology class. Bear with me one moment. Imagine this is a morning service, it's an all-age slot, and you're all children, okay? <laughs> it's completely bombed in the morning. No one knew what to make of this. Um, okay, I have here a, uh, a pot of, of soil, and I have here a seed. Now, if you're listening to this on, um, on tape, or if you're at the very back, yeah, you, you might not be able to see, but hit this seed, um, it's pr- it looks pretty dead. It, it's not breathing. Uh, It's not doing anything. It's sort of dark brown and dead-like. But notice what happens, boys and girls, when when I bury it in some soil, like a grave. Let's put it in there. Let's put it in a a nice warm place for a few weeks. Wait, wait. Oh, look, boys and girls. Isn't that amazing? And if you're listening on, on, on tape, I've just pulled out a, a flower, and uh, it's very alive-looking. So what, we put the dead seed in, and out come, came an, al- an alive plant. Well, what happens if we try and bury the finished product? So let's, uh, let's do a bit of pruning. There we go. Um, what? It's a plant. <laughs> And uh, let's, uh, let's, let's bury some of these finished products, finished bodies, in, in, in the soil there. And let's leave it for a few weeks and, and, and see, see what happens. Oh, golly. <laughs> oh dear, boys and girls. It hasn't worked very well at all. Look. So what's the point here? Sorry about that. I don't need a round of applause. <laughs> I tell you, don't. No, I'm aware there's some pretty dubious biology there. I'm sorry about that. But, but, but Paul's point is this. Death is necessary for resurrection. Uh, just like that, that bare seed, that, that naked seed. So our, our dead bodies must one day enter the ground in order that one day we might be raised to new life. But we might be saying, oh, come on, Paul, actually answer your question. What will our resurrection bodies be like? What will they be like? Well, look down in verse 37, because it says there's going to be real continuity between our bodies now and the ones we'll have in the future. So look at that, verse 37. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. So my little seed, which you saw me plant earlier on, it had stored within it the potential to become that plant. Okay? That, that seed didn't have the potential to become an oak tree or an octopus. Okay? It, 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 there's, there's some form of continuity between the seed, what is sown, 
and what is, what is raised. Do you see that? And so it is in the new creation. When you, when you bump into me in glory and you say, oh, hello, Andy, I very much doubt I'm going to be six foot six with very broad shoulders and ginger hair. It's not going to happen. I, I doubt it anyway. There's going, to be, there's going to be sort of a discernible continuity between me now and me in the future. I'm going to be me and you are going to be you. We're not going to lose our characters or, or lose uh, our sense of self. That, that won't happen. There's going to be real continuity between what is sown and what is raised. But there will also be glorious discontinuity. So in the next few verses, from verse 39 onwards, Paul observes there's this huge variety of, of bodies, if you like, or, or forms in the natural world. So, so consider the lion. Hannah and I went to London Zoo the other day. Lions are much bigger than you think they are, incidentally. They're not down here. They're up here. They're huge. And so lions, but consider the ant as well. Tiny. Consider the eagle and then the giant squid. Uh, consider the, the blazing sun and then consider the, the cool light of the moon. And Paul's point in these, in these verses is saying, if there's this glorious variety in this creation then we shouldn't really doubt that God's design for the next creation is going to be just as wonderful. We shouldn't doubt he has the ability to do something incredible with our bodies. So look at verse 42. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Now our church is, is fairly unusual, particularly here in the evening, because there aren't many of us who are sort of further on in, in years. And so it might be that for many of us, all this talk about sort of death and dying, it all just seems rather distant. Um, for teenagers here, you might think, I'm immortal, <laughs> shelve this for another day. But some of us might be thinking, this, is, this isn't really for me. Listen out to you, I, I would encourage you perhaps one time soon to, to go, go visit an intensive care unit in a hospital or, or perhaps to visit a, a care home. Because friends, there amongst the frailty of, of, of the dying, Paul's words here will really gain traction with you. Our bodies are perishable. That is, one day they'll be lowered into the ground in dishonor and weakness. But notice the radical transformation that we will undergo when we are raised. Our bodies will be raised imperishable, powerful, glorious, Paul says. Our bodies, once prone to disease, will be raised in perfect health. Our, our bodies, once fragile, rickety tents, will one day become eternal dwellings that will never crumble. Our bodies, once bent on, on this downward spiral of decay, will one day be raised to glorious, glorious heights. What a day that will be. What a day. Whatever it is right now which is making you sad. Whatever it is which is making you ill or depressed. It will be gone. It will be completely gone verse 44 might, might be confusing for us this word spiritual it doesn't it doesn't refer so much to the stuff that we'll be made out of 
in the next life. No, that, that, that's sort of the Tom and Jerry idea, or sort of saints sort of floating around like ghosts. No, not at all. No, it refers to the power which will animate us. So picture the risen Christ. We were singing about him earlier, risen from the grave. Well, what was his body like? Well, it was, it was physical, wasn't it? it he, he, you know, he wasn't a ghost. He, he, he had a body. But he was powered by the Spirit. And so it will be for us. And, and that's really the key point Paul wants to make here. It's not really about what our bodies will be like. That's neither here nor there, really. It's more about who we're going to be like. And we're going to bear Christ's likeness. Follow from verse 45. So it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual didn't come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are all those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. If you were here last week, you would remember that illustration Paul gave us of the two family trees. Do you remember that? The two family trees. If you weren't here, Paul said basically we either belong to one tree or another. By nature, we belong to Adam. He's our sort of biological head, if you like. But belonging to his tree means we're kind of doomed to his fate. We're doomed to one day return to the dust. A bit like that uh, rotting leaf. That, that's, that's what happens to all who belong to Adam. Just dust. But, but those who, who belong to Christ, if, if by faith we're trusting in Christ, it's as though we switch family trees. It's as though we, we, we um, although we will die, with Christ we'll be raised again. So we're not like that leaf, we're more like that seed which was planted, which then comes up to new life. We'll be made perfectly like him. That's the point here, verse 49. We shall bear his likeness. Just think about that for a moment. What a wonderful thought. What a wonderful thought. Think about that sin you've been, you've been battling with. Or that area of temptation you've been praying would, would, would go away. Or, or that, that, that thought you're trying to keep on getting out of your head. Well, one day it will. One day it will. Our resurrection bodies, they'll be made perfectly like Christ's. Clean. Washed white as snow. Without a blemish. Without a single taint of sin. So friends, do we long for that day? Do, do we ache for that day? No weakness, no decay, no sin. Well, I'm afraid we can't have it just yet. We can't have it just yet. Paul keeps destroying this idea that we can have this resurrection life right now. No, we can't. Look at verse 50. Verse 50. I declare to you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. You see, just like Jesus, we've got to die before we'll be raised. Death, if you like, is necessary for resurrection. So I need to ask you here tonight, have you you reconciled yourself to the fact that one day you will die? Have you accepted the fact that your lungs only have a certain number of breaths left in them? That, that your heart only has a certain number of pumps left. And that one day you will close your eyes and, and 
you will, perhaps not too long from now, um, you will die. Now, of course, we live in a culture which doesn't really like to think about this. This is really un-British. Um, we like to pretend that this inevitable day will never happen. So you're on the tube and you see all the adverts about sort of health and beauty and how to delay this inevitable day. But friends, no amount of dieting, no amount of exercise, no amount of Botox can prevent your body from dying. There's that fantastic line in, um, in that Radiohead song. You might know it. He sing, Tom York, he sings this. He used to do surgery for girls in the 80s, but gravity always wins. It's a fantastic line. He's nailed it. Gravity always wins. Our bodies will die. Some of us, we might not want to really think about it, but some of us here, that's, it's, it's a very present thought. And if it's for you a very present thought at the moment, be encouraged as you think about what your body will be like. It'll be sinless, and it'll be like Christ's, and it'll be physical. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful thing, so look forward to that. Well, Paul now turns to answer the, the other question, much more briefly, uh, the Corinthians were asking. Namely, how will God raise the dead? It's our second point, if you're following along. And the reason this was kind of an issue, because remember, according to Greek thinking, the thing which separated us from God is the fact that we're physical and he isn't. They thought the thing which separated us from him is the fact that we have bodies and he doesn't. That, that, that's what they thought was the big problem. But for Paul, that's not the problem at all. I mean, obviously Jesus has a body. No, Paul says the big problem isn't our bodies, it's our sin. How can a holy God accept you and me, given who we are, given the things we do, given the thoughts which we let run through our heads? How can he do that? So Paul says we need to be changed. We've got to be changed. But how will this happen? Well, it's going to happen very, very suddenly. Follow you along from verse 51. Verse 51. Listen, listen. I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. So we don't know the date or the year or, or the time. But when Jesus returns, it will just be a really normal day. We'll just be going around our everyday business, uh, waking up to your alarm clock, taking a shower, sorting out the kids maybe, going off to work. We'll be uh, going to the gym, perhaps going to the bulb study in the evening, uh, going to bed. Um, it'll be a normal day of wrestling in prayer. It'll be a normal day of fighting against sin. It'll be a normal day of perhaps feeling exhausted in our work, perhaps feeling discouraged in general by life. It'll be a normal day when suddenly Christ returns. It won't be a clap, it'll be a loud trumpet, it'll be a blast. And, and uh, God will, Christ will, will gather his people from all over the world. Some will be dead, Paul says, just sleeping. Others will be alive. And in an instant, he says, in an instant, suddenly, in the blink of an eye, we'll be changed. We'll be made like Christ. And that means for us no more wrestling, no more fighting, no more discouragements, no more exhaustion, no more sin, no more pain. And just on a side while I'm on this thought, nowhere does the Bible 
speak about purgatory. And think about this. The Roman Catholic Church it teaches that purgatory is a place where believers go to be purged of their sins. And it might take, according to the Roman Catholic Church, between you know, hundreds of years, could be thousands of years, depending on how many people pray for your soul to get you out of purgatory. They say we are slowly, over that time, made to become fit for heaven. That's what the Catholic Church teaches. Nonsense. The Bible doesn't say that at all. Paul says here, we'll be changed suddenly in the blink of an eye. Which is why, which is why this day will be so victorious. It'll be so victorious. Just follow along from verse 54. 54. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is law. When when someone we dearly love dies, as I'm sure perhaps someone... um, someone you know has died recently, perhaps something in the deep of the pit of our stomach tells us that this is just wrong. It's just not the way it's meant to be. And if you're here today and you're not yet trusting in Jesus, perhaps even you, even you know this. If someone dies, it's unnatural. We're angry. It shouldn't be like this. This dark cloud of death, it's been hanging over our world very since, since the very beginning, really. From Adam, for, for thousands of generations, we've been feeling the sting of death. The joys of life have been tarnished by it, haven't they? Our work has been <laughs> rendered futile by it. Our relationships have been torn apart because of it. For too long, death has been claiming victory over us, gloating over us, if you like. But Christ has made sure that death will not have the last laugh. Two siblings, two young children were, were playing in, in, in a garden. I think it was a Saturday, so their mum and dad were inside reading the newspapers. I think the boy was around 13, so he's a little older, and, and, and I think the sister was around eight years old. And I don't know what, they're just mucking around in the garden. And um, as the girl's going about her fun, um, I think she disturbed a bee. And this bee, as they do, it's sort of, sort of buzzing around her. And, and being a young girl, she started sort of panicking. Ah, it's my head. She started sort of running around, sort of screaming out. And uh, as she sort of, wherever she ran around the garden, it's, the bee would, would follow her. And she was really panicked by this. And, and her brother, hearing this, he ran up to her and he, he enveloped her in his arms. And in a moment's time, the girl felt her, her brother tense up suddenly. And that the bee carried on buzzing around them. And then the girl's still very worried and panicked. But her brother said, it's okay. You don't need to be afraid. Because the bee has already stung me. And bees can only sting once. See, the ongoing presence of death, it may still scare us. But Christ would say, you have no need to fear. Because Christ, what did he do? He entered our world. He, he, he lived the perfectly law-abiding life. And he was stung in our place. But death could not hold him. It could not hold him. Bursting out of the grave, he, he defeated death for us. He enveloped us, if you like. 
Which is why we can cry out with Paul in verse 57, thanks be to God, thanks be to God, because he gave us victory, victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, in the last verse, we turn now to address this, this question which we kind of began with earlier. You know, given the, the various discouragements, perhaps, of the Christian life, uh, our discouraging fights against sin, our failed attempts to tell people about Jesus, our, our discouragement, perhaps, as we try and love and, and serve one another here, you might be wondering, like pliable, why, why don't we just give up and turn around? Why don't we just be less keen, less wholehearted? We'll look to see what Paul says. Why shouldn't we give up? Why not give up? Verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. There's an Old Testament book, you might know it, it's called Ecclesiastes. And it, it, it begins with the, the preacher of Ecclesiastes delivering one of the most depressing sermons ever. If you thought this was depressing, go read Ecclesiastes. And he begins by basically saying, death renders everything in life completely futile. Having a, a big house and a beautiful garden, it's all in vain. Because one day you're going to lose it. Being respected amongst your peers at work, it's all in vain. Because one day you're going to die. Being uh, uh, living for pleasure and comfort and holidays, it's all in vain, says the preacher. Because you'll lose it when you die. In vain, he says. It's in vain. Everything is in vain. So friends, we'd be fools, wouldn't we? To give up Christ for something which we cannot keep. We'd be fools to do that. It's in vain. Everything's in vain. But as we've heard over the past few weeks in this chapter, actually, yeah, not everything's in vain. It's not all in vain. And that's kind of been the repeated drumbeat throughout this entire chapter. That phrase, not in vain, not in vain, not in vain. It keeps on coming up over and over again. Sure, our, our money, yeah, we won't be able to keep that. Our reputations, well, no. Uh, our pleasures, well, they'll be gone when we die. But friends, the resurrection, it changes everything. It transforms everything. We, we won't, might not be able to keep all that stuff, but do you know what will last into eternity? Do you know what will last absolutely forever into the next life? Every act of kindness. Every prayer. Every word of encouragement to a brother or a sister. Every stumbled and pathetic attempt to try and share the gospel with someone. Every display of hospitality. Every tiny step forward in holiness and Christ-likeness. Every godly response to injustice which you feel. Every pound and shilling that we might give to gospel work. All those things, if you like, they they hold their value into the next life. So verse 58, it's not a headmasterly notice, Paul berating us for not doing enough. That might be how we read that. 
Nor is he telling us to quit our jobs and leave our families and, and join a monastery because that's the only thing which matters. He's not telling us to do that either. No. Here is a warm, brotherly encouragement for us to invest in that which will last forever. Friends, our lives here are very, very short. Very short. But the future stretched out ahead of us will last forever. So friends, why not fix your eyes on that hope? Fix your eyes on what you will be. Fix your eyes on that body which you'll be given. Fix your eyes on your saviour and who you'll be like. And think where you'll be. Because that truth, the truth of the resurrection, Christ's resurrection and your resurrection, that is what's going to keep you going. To devote yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Let's bow our heads and pray. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Father God, we praise you that we are victors, not because of anything we've done, but because of what Christ has done in dying for us, in being raised with us. We praise you, Father, that he enveloped us in his love, that he took the sting in our place. And we ask, Lord, that this truth of Christ's resurrection, it will give us great hope for the future, but also this will impact the now. Help us to be a loving church, a serving church, a giving church, a hospitable church. All the things you would have us be, knowing that those labours are not in vain. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.